Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And as always, joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, guys? Ready for an action-packed show? Let's get it going, man. Yeah, let's, let's get right to it. Um, and uh, joining us from the Second City, a man who spends his free time contemplating the merits of Duffy Doherty and Bernie Peterman, <laughs> it's our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook. Hey, I'm leaving at the crack of dawn to get to Iowa City in time for the U of I Athletics luncheon before the final game. They always do one before the first game and the final game. I'll be hanging out with uh, Gary Barta, Kirk Ferentz, and uh, some other people that have donated a lot more money than my uh, not. Well, uh, tell him to stop running so many damn bubble screens, will you? Uh, I doubt Greg Davis gets invited. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Um, uh, that's probably appropriate. And so, um, well, now we're closing in on the last two weeks of the regular season, uh, and we've got more great games than we know what to do with. So, uh, we're going to get off the line fast with some quick slants. So, uh, we're going to whip it out to you first, Josh. Well, we're talking about a couple Big Ten games later in the show, so I want to talk about the, uh, all the 11 o'clock starts. So the first one is Rutgers travels up to Army. Army 2-8 and eight on the year, but six of their losses have only been by a single possession, including a game against Penn State. You have to wonder what 3-7 and seven Rutgers' uh, intensity level will be. It'd be a feather in the cap if the Knights can uh, get, a, get a win over a Big Ten team to help turn around their program. Minnesota hosts Illinois. Uh, both teams looking for bowl games. Illinois needs to either win this one or the Northwestern finale. Minnesota needs to win out. They have rival Wisconsin next. Illinois has been awful on the road this year. They beat Purdue, but their other three road losses have been by two scores or more. That has to give you confidence if you're a Gopher fan. Indiana heads out to Maryland. I don't know why Maryland's a, a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I think Indiana blows them out. I think Indiana wins this week and next week against Purdue to make a bowl. I'll even say the Hoosiers win by 21. That's how confident I am in Indiana winning this game. Purdue travels to Iowa. Iowa's defense should stack up well against a freshman quarterback. Weather might be interesting. They're saying four to seven inches of snow starting either Friday night or Saturday morning. I think inclement weather also helps Iowa because they're better at ball security than Purdue. And last but not least, Michigan travels to Penn State. Michigan is a four-point road favorite because Penn State's three losses have been against good defensive teams. That bodes well for the Wolverines. This one still has Eastern, Con- Eastern Division implica- implications. Uh, if Michigan wins out and MSU loses either one of their games, Michigan wins the East. If Penn State wins out and Ohio State loses out, Things get really goofy because in that scenario, Penn State, they will all have two lo- league losses with Penn State having the wins over both Michigan schools, Michigan having the tiebreaker over Ohio State, Michigan State 
having tiebreakers over the Wolverines and Buckeyes, and Ohio State with only a head-to-head tiebreaker over Penn State. I think it then goes to the polls for the tiebreaker, and in that scenario, no idea who would represent the East. So some crazy stuff happening. Yeah, it sounds like uh, sounds like a mess right there. <laughs> yeah, yes, to say the least. And uh, sounds pretty interesting. Sounds like it's going to be something that needs to be followed. Yeah, especially especially if Penn State wins and uh, and Michigan State's hanging around Ohio State, that'll certainly make things goofy in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I uh, got a big one this weekend that we'll talk about later. So. Yeah, well, why, why don't we get to your uh, to your first slant, Coach? Well, um, I just uh, I I went up to the line. I, I I didn't like what the defense was giving me, so I I'm gonna check out of my first. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm gonna check into a uh, I'm gonna check into a double hitch. All right, uh, talk about Heisman favorites. All right, go for it. Talk, talk about my Heisman favorites. These are the uh, these are the coaches. Uh, Heisman favorites here uh, on the Illegal Motion Podcast. I just want to do, uh, you know, give you guys an idea of, of some guys to watch um, as we go down the stretch. I think right now, you know, I think it's a two. I really think it's a two horse race. You got Leonard. For, you got Leonard Fournette kind of on the outside looking in. Uh, he hasn't been. He has been playing too too well the last couple of weeks. So I, I like Derrick Henry, hashtag here, the running back, and I like Deshaun Watson. Uh, they're going to duke it out down the stretch. Both are going to be playing in, in their respective championship games. So they'll have an uh, extra game to showcase their talents. Um, you know, Derrick Henry has really turn, turned it on for the Crimson Tide. He had, he had over 200 yards rushing and two touchdowns last week against Mississippi State. Deshaun Watson turned, uh, turned in a pretty good performance as well against Syracuse to stave off an upset. Um, both both guys have got their teams playing on a, on a high level. Uh, look out, uh, a dark horse candidate is Ezekiel Elliott, and it's kind of odd to say that he's a dark horse candidate because he's probably going to be the top draft prospect coming into the NFL. Um, but uh, you know he, he's your uh, he's your guy to watch out for if they uh, you know if he has if he has a great stretch run, he might could get himself in the uh, in the race for the uh, the Heisman Trophy. Just wanted to uh, just wanted to throw it out there. And, and my original one was going to be some coaching carousel stuff. Uh, what got me going on that was uh, Charlie Strong has uh, is trying his best to dispel the Miami rumors, and nobody's believing him whatsoever. And I guess <laughs> I guess it's uh, I guess it's easy to dismiss him um, because his record's so bad at Texas, and things are going so poorly for him there. They're they're thinking he's going to get out on the first thing smoking. So. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, South Carolina says they're close to hiring another coach, uh, or they're 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 close to hiring their coach towards the beginning of December. Uh, some people are saying it's going to be Tom Herman out of Houston. I don't buy it because I think he's going to get I think he's going to get his choice of schools, um, and he's going to have to turn down a lot of offers. And I don't see him jumping at the first thing uh, that's offered to him. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who they hire, um, but. It's likely that they will uh, will be jumping in on it, and then LSU, LS who, LS who, uh, something that surprised me, um, Les Miles potentially on the hot seat. Um, Les Miles potentially on the hot seat. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it, it's crazy because they started out seven and zero, and they have such a young team. But when we talked about on this show, they haven't 
gotten over that hump against Alabama. So when you're when you're a good program and you haven't competed for a conference or a national title in several years, by default, your coach is going to face a little bit of heat, whether it's warranted or not. Yeah, absolutely. George is going through the same thing. So, yeah, you know, I love the Mad Hatter. So, um, you know, I, I think that's that's silly. that's silly. I mean, are they going to be able to get really get, be able to get like a much better coach than less? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, some yeah, of the, it, might, some, it might, some, might be a fresh voice, but. I don't know. I, I don't see, you know, I mean, LSU is still doing a, a, a pretty good job, you know, uh, recruit, you know, recruiting, you know, winning nine, 10 games a year and, you know, being entitled in the contention for, for, you know, a national title. What they, they, they played in the title game just a couple of years ago against Alabama in the rematch game. So, yeah. I mean, they're not that far removed from it, but you know, I, I guess LSU fans are getting restless. Um, a name I heard thrown around is, is a name that uh, oddly enough that we were hammering it back in, August, which Larry is Fedora. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be something, huh? Uh, wouldn't that, that be something if he got that job? That would be a. Uh, uh, don't don't get me started on that. That, that that's a much <laughs> too long conversation for us to have. Yeah. Well, um, my first quick slam of the night is um, talking about the Pac-12 South. Big weekend. Um, a lot of big games. Um, Going to be contested for the Pac-12 South teams. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to skip over the the Colorado Wazoo game. Wazoo should win that one going away out in Pullman. But um, the three U schools of of, of the South, uh, UCLA, USC, and Utah, um, also have a chance for a day with Stanford. Assuming that Stanford take care, takes care of business against Cal this weekend, uh, I'll have, still have a chance for a day with Stanford at Levi's Stadium on, de- on December fifth um, to re- to represent the division um, in the Pac-12 title game. But this weekend's going to go a long way to determining um, who's going to be there. UCLA and Utah are going to meet in Salt Lake City on Saturday. Both these teams are coming off of really demoralizing losses. Um, UCLA lost to the uh, to the Pirate and his crew of bandits um, last week uh, at home in the Rose Bowl, and and Utah was upset in the desert by uh, the Wildcats. Um, the Bruins this season so far have been really decimated by injuries, and they've been so up and down. Josh Rosen has looked pretty good for a freshman, but they just they, they can't, can't seem to get steady contributions, especially um, from their skilled guys outside of Paul Perkins. Um, the big matchup. That's your brother, Matt, right? Yes, uh, my cousin, my cousin. Your cousin. Um, Sorry. Yeah, sorry. It's, it gets a little confusing. Uh, Sam Perkins is my uncle, and ah. um, yeah. So, um, uh, so, so the Bruins, you know, Josh Rosen is going to have a tough time with Utah's D. They've had a a, a pretty good defense all year. It's, it starts to wane a little bit here in conference play, but um, I, it's it's you know, it's all, Salt Lake is a tough place to play. Just ask Michigan. And uh, I think UCLA, as much as I want them to win and pull off the upset, I think Utah's going to take care of business at home. Um, USC, the third of the U schools, heads up to Eugene to play an Oregon squad who pulled off a huge win last week at week over Stanford. Uh, these USC and Oregon are probably the two most talented teams in the league this year, but that hasn't necessarily translated to wins. Um, nonetheless, this will be a big game for both of them. Um, if USC and UCLA both win this weekend, then the battle for Los Angeles next weekend will determine the South Division champion. Um, if Utah wins um, and USC loses, 
um, that would uh, that would give Utah a chance to win the to win next week um, over Colorado and take the division. Um, but basically, um, Utah needs USC to lose. UCLA needs to win out, and basically, whoever wins out is going to win um, is going to win the division um, with USC owning the tiebreaker. Um, also, both Arizona schools are playing each other this weekend, and they're both coming off victories. Um, Territorial uh, Cup. Um, yup, Territorial Cup is right, Josh. Uh, Arizona's coming off uh, a big win over the aforementioned Utes, and the Sun Devils uh, came out victorious over Washington last week, um, and, uh, and uh, which actually um, – uh, and so, while both these teams have had so much of, somewhat of a disappointing season, uh, uh, it's possible that uh, both teams will be uh, bowl bound, especially if Arizona manages. Sorry, Arizona State manages to win this game at home this weekend. Um, a game, uh, a game which at this point in the uh, in the week is is riding as a pick'em. So um, this should be a really really great matchup. If not a lot of defense. Um, so, oh, I'm not going to predict uh, over unders B12 style here for these two teams. We're not, you know, I don't think we're going over 90. Uh, I, I think we could see a game well into the 70s uh, for the total score between the two. So, going to be a lot of fun this weekend in the Pac-12 South, um, and definitely something I'm going to keep my eye on. Um, so, Josh, what you uh, what you got for your second route? Uh, well, we like to spread the wealth here on the show. We don't ignore the small conferences. So, I was just going to touch base. Yeah, so I was just going to touch base with Kusa, Mac, and Sunbelt, see where they are with uh, just a couple of weeks left to go. Uh, obviously, whoever did the schedules for Conference USA needs to buy a lottery ticket because they have a crystal ball because Western Kentucky, 6-0 and in conference, Marshall, 6-1. and Marshall has a bye week, and then these two teams face each other to see who wins the East. Louisiana Tech, 5-1. and Southern Miss, 5-1. and They face each other next week to see who goes to the conference title game from the West. All four looking good for a bowl game. I'm going to give a highlight to Southern Miss, a program that's been down the dumps the last few years. They're getting it done with some salty defense, 88 points allowed in conference play. That's second best in the conference USA. Mac picture, a little clearer bowling green, despite losing earlier in the week to Toledo had already wrapped up the East. So we know they will be in Detroit, the West still has a little ways to go. Northern Illinois won their early matching game. So if they beat Ohio next week, Northern Illinois wins the West. If Northern Illinois loses and Toledo wins, then Toledo represents the West. Uh, Bowling Green, Ohio, Toledo, and Northern Illinois, all four looking really good for bowl games. Western Michigan and Central Michigan have six wins. Buffalo and Akron have five wins. So possibly one in that group of four will join the other four to have five bowl teams from the MAC. That's pretty good. Uh, shout out to Buffalo and the Zips for playing a little bit better football this season for both teams. They've been down the dumps in a while. And last but not least, down the Sun Belt, this picture is pretty much complete. It's printing job. That is Arkansas State is six and zero. They have a tiebreaker over five and one Appalachian State and don't have to face five and one Georgia Southern. Their last two games are New Mexico State and Texas State, who are both in the second half of the standings. So the Red Wolves should win. If something crazy happens, App State has a tiebreaker over Georgia Southern. 
So it seems like the Eagles will not be able to repeat as league champions. However, all three are looking like solid teams to make bowl games. And that's the recap of our smaller conferences. All right. Yeah, we, you, you, know, you know we got a lot of love for the small conferences here on Illegal Motion. Um, obviously, my love of the American. Um, I'll even throw a shout-out to the Mountain West, Mountain West every once in a while. We all know Josh loves some action. Corey's always down with the Sun Belt. So. Well, I mean, I, I honestly think they represent some of the best in college football because they know they're never going to compete for a national title. They, they're working their asses off day in, day out for very, very little glory. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of the Conference USA as well. Uh, it looks like the SEC is going to match up with a lot of uh, small conferences this week. So if you're looking for SEC football, um, you better be a fan of that team because it's not going to be an exciting watch otherwise. I think I think uh, Nick Saban desperately tried to make it exciting by going on a rant about uh, Charleston Southern when they will. Um, I think his fifth string walk-on quarterback will get to play in that one. <laughs> oh yeah, I, Nick Saban like really, really challenging Bama in that for that late season schedule. Um, so, Coach, uh, what, what's your second slant? Well, uh, I saw an interesting article um, from your you guys' favorite coach, Brett Bielema, old birdie. <laughs> um, he was talking about the future scheduling of college football, um, and basically. He was talking about strength of schedule parameters. He wanted to satisfy all these playoff committee people. And he was suggesting a Big Ten versus SEC challenge, kind of what basketball does. you know, With, with the Big Ten ACC challenge. Yeah, and then the Big 12 SEC challenge. These conferences starting to, to merge up and, and play each other. Um, and he's trying to get basically um, get rid of – them playing these FCS opponents. So, you know, when, you, when you're thinking up ideas of how to improve scheduling and how to improve things for the fans, uh, what do you guys think about that? I mean, my opinion of it is, you know, I like the idea in theory, but I, I think with the season being as short as it is, I think you need those – I think you need that one week where you play an FCS opponent to kind of get your guys healthy. Um, I, I think it would do and, – and Josh used this, used this acronym. It would be uh, – it would be mutually assured destruction or MAD. Um, if, if this happened, I think just adding that extra tough game to get ready for, albeit exciting for the fans um, – yeah, well, I know, you know, we were having this conversation before we went on air, and Josh, something you had mentioned is that the, for the Big 12, at least logistically, they already have, sorry, for the Big 10, I should say, they already have something in line with the Pac-12. Yeah, they've been working on that. We saw some of those matchups, um, you know, Michigan, Utah played each other, uh, Northwestern, Stanford played each other. There's going to be more coming down the pipe uh, from that. So I think from that standpoint, Coach is right. I mean, Bielema is a good point. It makes sense in theory. But with just 12 games, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're Alabama and you lose to Ohio State and then something happens where they lose like they did to Ole Miss this year, they're done. Even with all the strength of schedule considerations, two losses in a 14 tournament is done. If they expand the field to eight teams and the conference champions automatically get in, I think Bielema is on something. 
if this was like basketball where you have 30 games and one loss doesn't really matter, then that works also. But I don't see them expanding regular season anytime. And it seems like people are kind of stuck in this four game mindset. And by the people, I mean the powers that be, I think most fans would love to see the tournament field expanded, but well, here's an aspect of it that that people may not see uh, as the reason that that big teams play FCS schools. They don't play it for confidence boosters. They don't play it for, you know, homecoming things and and whatever else, whatever the reasons that fans think of it as. Think of it this way: um, FCS schools probably benefit more from playing uh, from having these big teams on their schedule uh, for financial reasons. I mean, they're able to fund their program. Uh, a lot of what they pay for is based on the, scheduling these type of opponents because they'll get they'll get close to a million dollars to come to come get their butts kicked by Alabama or Nebraska or Georgia, Clemson, Wisconsin, whoever. You know, everyone plays them. Um, it gives it gives the, the kids a chance at schools like James Madison, you know, Sam Houston State, North Dakota State, Montana or whoever whoever it may be, it gives them a chance to, to step on these big fields and play major Division One football without really having to, you know, get on scholarships. So I, I think overall for the game, I think it makes FCS a lot better by doing that. Um, I know it doesn't look that way from the surface, but if you go into a deeper meaning of it and you look at all the financial benefits for, from it, I think these schools are able to award more scholarships because of these games. And, uh, you know, that's the reason I like it. Obviously, uh, selfishly, I want, you know, I want these teams to play all Power 5 schools so that, you know, it can be good football on every week. But, you know, you got to think of the big picture deal and, and, and see, okay, well, for the, for the grand scope of college football, maybe it is better. Maybe it is good for them to branch out and play at least one FCS. Now, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're Florida a couple of years ago and you're scheduling – you're scheduling two or three SCS opponents, you know that's one thing. But if you just schedule one randomly in the middle, somewhere in the season, it's not. I, I don't. I don't look at it as a big deal. Um, I look at it as more of a benefit for the FCS schools, and uh, you know it's it's pretty good for you know families too. It's it's a good family atmosphere because it's some of those games that are often played early in the afternoon. Take your kids to that one uh, and let them enjoy the college football atmosphere without being around you know, 95,000 drunken idiots. So um, I like it. I like the idea. And I like the idea in, in theory. I think it could work out. Um, but it's a little tougher in practice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and some of the aesthetics of the games, just I, I was looking at the kind of the, the matchup that ESPN had right now. Auburn Rutgers, I mean, come on. Yeah. No one wants to, no one wants to watch that. Yeah, I mean, is, is it really, you know, is it really much better than Auburn-Jacksonville State? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, sometimes you help your in-state FCS schools. Like like Georgia would play Georgia Southern, you know, once every two or three years back when they were in FCS, um, and they still have that contract with them. But they're, they're obviously not F- FCS anymore, but they would play them um, to help raise money and keep money in, in the state of Georgia, I think. Uh, coming soon, you'll start to see them play. Once Kennesaw State gets up into the FCS, they'll start playing Kennesaw State. They'll probably play Georgia State once, once or twice here. They'll probably start getting them on their schedule. Just try to help out those small schools within the state. 
um, and, and see if they can get money flowing through those programs. But and, and like uh, another game, they have Penn State, Florida, and Michigan, Georgia. I mean, those sound good on paper, but I would rather see Penn State and Pitt renew their rivalry. And it's going to be hard with Notre Dame's allegiance with the ACC now, but Michigan-Notre yeah. Dame, I miss. Yeah, I don't think you should force the matchups. I think that schools should just go out and – and uh, I mean, it's possible to have, you know, Power 5 schools and an FCS school in there. I think there's room for it. I mean, Georgia plays Georgia Tech every year out of conference. They played uh, – you know, they played Georgia Southern, FBS opponent, who's probably better than – you know, they're probably one of the better end of the Sun Belt uh, conference. They they start out with North Carolina. They open the season with UNC next year, and they play Georgia Tech, you know, again. And so, um, you know, just look at scheduling, and, and, and they've done a good job of balancing it. And some teams can – you know, Alabama opens up with a big-name opponent every year. Uh, they play Charleston Southern this week. Uh, I think Alabama has had plenty of exciting games. I think they can, you know, afford to throw a bone to an FCS school here every once in a while. So – uh, I don't. I don't mind it as much as other people probably do. Um, some people get bent out of shape, like, "Oh man, what? Why are they playing this patty cake? You know, why are they playing this old patsy school?" I, I don't mind it. I, I think it's good for the. I think it's good for the FCS school. I think it makes the FCS playoffs a little bit better because those kids, you know, it's 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 a it's a good test to see where they're actually at as far as how they stack up with the big boys. Definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, that, that's a good conversation. Maybe something we should return to in the off season. But for now, um, I just want to get to my uh, final quick slant uh, really fast. Um, so basically, in the American Conference, uh, you all know how much I love the American. One huge, ga- one huge game this weekend, um, and that is Memphis visiting Temple. And um, Temple is pretty much locked up uh, – Temple's pretty much locked up the AAC East uh, division. Uh, I mean, no matter what happens this game, if they, when they beat Connecticut next week, which they should, um, they will be the uh, division champs. Um, but if, uh, but, but you know, this, this week is really going to be um, a battle of uh, Memphis's Paxton Lynch on offense um, versus Temple's, um, you know, really really great defense led by their pass rush. Um, we all we all saw the first week of the season what Temple did to Penn State. Um, and, you know, the, uh, you know, but Paxton Lynch has done a pretty good job of, you know, avoiding sacks and not making a whole lot of turnovers this year. Um, Temple feasts off turnovers, especially they love to give their, they love to, you know, take up a lot of time on that clock, keep, keep giving the ball to Jihad Thomas. He's already over a thousand yards on the ground this year and 15 touchdowns. Been one of the better running backs for the hashtag year, the running back coach. Um, oh, yeah. But he, uh, you know he, he's been really uh, he's been the workhorse of this temple uh, of this temple offense. Um, so you know he's probably going to approach 300 carries this year. Um, once you factor in the bowl game, so it's going to be a lot, this, gonna, this game is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, around the rest of the uh, American Conference uh, this weekend, not a whole lot of great games. Navy and Tulsa is a little bit interesting, just because got two completely different styles of offense. Navy's triple option versus Tulsa's air raid. Um, but uh, Houston is at Connecticut. Um, trying to keep alive their perfect season, and um, and South Florida, the only one, the only team in the East that has a chance to uh, win the division, uh, hosts a Cincinnati team that we know can score a lot of points. So, going to be a lot of fun in the American this weekend. 
like usual, but we're all getting we're all getting ready for next week's huge matchup between Houston and Navy in Houston. So, uh, so hopefully we can uh, you know get through the weekend unscathed through those you know those top teams to get a, a real big matchup next week. Well, um, so now we got to hop into our deep routes, and our first one is um, is our first. Uh, Top 25 matchup of Big Ten teams where the Wildcats of Northwestern march into Camp Randall to take the Badgers, who are coming off a much-needed bye week. The Badgers have been so beat up on the offensive line this year. Um, Josh, what can we expect the Badger ground game to look like against Northwestern? Well, reports are Corey Clement's hand and leg and all that should be good. The last time we saw Corey Clement, was that Rutgers game, which they won going away. I like Wisconsin to win. Uh, this isn't our spread formation, but I like them to cover. I do think it's really interesting, though, um, in the 70s and 80s when Northwestern was epically awful, uh, Wisconsin won 13 straight times and leads the overall series 57-34-5. But – since that 84 season, so 85 on, they've each won 12 games. So it's tied, 12-12. And the home teams fare very well in this. Northwestern hasn't won in Madison since 2000. And Wisconsin hasn't won in Evanston since 99, which is kind of interesting. This is a – I'm kind of glad they're in the same division now because this rivalry is a little closer than you would think. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the stats even further, Wisconsin has only given up a total of three touchdowns in six home games. Is only allowing five points per game at Camp Randall, uh, very proving to be a very tough place to play. Um, you know, you said you said the thing about the home teams. Um, you know, I, I think Wisconsin is kind of one of those one of those teams. They're sitting there at eight and two. Um, if you watched them play, you it kind of surprises you that they're eight and two. Um, because it, like when you see him play, it almost looks worse than it actually is. Like you're sitting there thinking, okay, you know, this team's got to be, you know, sitting on four losses. But, um, you know, I, I think for them, if they're going to beat Northwestern, I think their defense needs to do their thing. Um, obviously, they're at, at home that they're much they're much tougher. They're they're much more stingy, uh, giving up only five points per game. Uh, I think having Corey Clement back is uh, is going to be a, a huge deal. Um, you know, he had a 113-yard three-touchdown performance in his return um, last week, or not last week, uh, in their November 7th win over Maryland. So that was last week, wasn't it? He was actually out the Maryland game. He had all those stats against Rutgers. It was weird. He came back from injury against Rutgers – Reaggravated his leg and rested. That's right. Yeah, yeah it's very strange. My timeline. I for some reason I got those two games flipped on the schedule. My timeline is completely thrown off. I, I don't know days of the week anymore. I, I mean, Maryland and Rutgers are so exciting. How do you flip those games, Coach? I know. I, I know. Shame on me, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no. Um, uh, I think that one thing that I'm just going to be interested in watching, you know, as a Badger alum, is going to be this is being the Badgers' last home game. And for a lot of teams that are playing their last home game this weekend, uh, it's the last time that they can have recruits on campus for official visits uh, during the year for game day. So I think you're going to be seeing, uh, you know, going to see a lot of teams hosting a lot of different recruits. I know Wisconsin's having 
you know, I think like 12 or 14 guys on campus for official visits this weekend, hopefully getting a good atmosphere for that. I know there's a lot of other schools doing the same thing this weekend as well. So, um, you know, we'd really, uh, obviously, you know, fans want to see their, uh, their, their schools wrap up some big commits and the, uh, you know, official visits go a long way to doing that, especially you have, you know, a really great game, really great, get great game atmosphere. You that can do a lot to, uh, to securing the, the commitment, at least the verbal uh, commitment of a recruit. So, um, um, yeah, coach brought up the Wisconsin defense. I think that's a great point. Um, Northwestern's freshman quarterback, Clayton Thorson, uh, coming back a little bit to earth, going through the big 10 grind, which you'd expect for a freshman against the two best defenses. He faced Michigan and Iowa. Uh, he, he was eaten alive and, it's really interesting that Northwestern has survived these last two weeks. Um, he was five of eight against Penn State and nine of nineteen against Purdue. Wisconsin's defense is so good that if they're if Northwestern's one dimensional again, I don't see where the points are coming from for the Wildcats. Yeah, it's going to be a long day for Northwestern if they can't get anything going, uh, or if they can't be if they can't be balanced because you know Wisconsin's defense is already they're already playing at a high level and they already play at a high level at home. I think Northwestern is just going to have to, you know, I, I think they're just going to have to be patient. They're going to have to rely on uh, taking what the you know I know this is a, a big time cliche, but they're just going to have to take what the defense gives them, play field position, and and just just hope that they can. Exp- they can find something in Wisconsin's defense to exploit, or or maybe Wisconsin makes, you know, maybe they just wait them out and, and see if Wisconsin will make the mistake for them and giving them a chance to put points on the board. Uh, for Northwestern, you know, they just gotta they've got to hang on. Joel Stave's become he became the third Badger to throw for seven thousand yards in his career um, against the Terrapins. Uh, Paul Chris has done a tremendous job with this team. Uh, but for Northwestern, it's going to be a tough matchup. You know, they're just going to have to chip away in the running game. They're going to have to uh, stop this offense with Corey Clement coming back, Joel Stave leading the attack. I just went on a, a, a tangent there. I saw a stat that I thought was pretty that I thought was going to be pretty interesting, and it was about as interesting as Rutgers football. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be a slugfest. I think I don't want to call it a defensive struggle because I think it'll actually be a pretty good game. Um, I think if you like if you like uh, run if you like the run game and if you like defense and if you like uh, House of Pain, uh, I think this game is going to be for you. Um, it's going to be a game I'm going to keep an eye on. Uh, it's an intriguing matchup for me. I think Wisconsin's going to I think Wisconsin's going to win in a a, a lower scoring uh, affair. I think they're going to win 17 to 13. I think Northwestern is going to get a couple chances late in the second half that they're going to take advantage of, but it's going to be one of those too little, too late situations. I think Wisconsin's going to hang on. They're going to make a, they're going to get a key turnover in the fourth quarter to kind of ice the game away uh, for the Badgers at Camp Randall. Yeah, well, um, you know, what, one last thing uh, about this uh, Badger team and Joel Save, uh, if if he gets a win uh, against Northwestern, he'll become the only the uh, he will become only the third Badger quarterback in history to get thirty wins as well. Um, and if he wins this weekend and next weekend, he will have thirty-one wins, which would be uh, the most in 
uh, program history. So, you know, he's been a much maligned quarterback for all of his time on campus. He was a man who had, to, uh, who had the tough job of pretty much replacing Russell Wilson. So, you know, he's never really, you know, he was never going to live up to the one, one perfect season that Russell had in Wisconsin or darn close to perfect. So, well, we, we got to keep moving on. And we've got a Baylor team who is potentially starting a uh, wide receiver, Chris Johnson, at quarterback with Jared Stidham, uh, you know, the backup who took over for Seth Russell. Um, he's been battling some back issues uh, all week in practice. So, and they are headed um, up to Stillwater to take on the Pokes, who are, um, you know, still, you know, very much in control of their own destiny. Um, Bedlam obviously is going to be a big, big game next week. But before we get, but before we get there, we got to talk Baylor, Oklahoma State. So, uh, Coach, do you think that? Um, do you think that this Oklahoma State team is going to be able to, uh, uh, you know, slow down this uh, high-powered Baylor offense? Well, it just depends on Jared Stidham. I mean, if if he can, uh, you know, if come he can back go, clean, first of all, first yeah, of if he can throw, team. if he can stand, if he can, and if he can do all that stuff, if he can kind of manage the pain, because there's going to be a lot of discomfort, uh, no matter if you're cleared to play or not. He's going to have to deal with some level of that. He's not going to be as mobile as as he has been. Um, his throws probably aren't going to have as much zip. And uh, this this Cowboy defense is, is going to uh, key in on that, and you'll probably see a little extra aggressive game plan for Oklahoma State. Um, and they're going to try to disrupt him. And I, I think – I, I'm almost afraid he's going to have a freshman game here um, where he's just going to – you know, you're going to start to see things kind of unravel for him. I think Oklahoma State, um, especially playing at T. Boone, Stickin', T. Boone Pickens Stadium – Okay, tongue-tied there just a little bit. Uh, it's a night game at T. Boone Pickens Stadium. It's a tough place to play no matter no matter who you are or what time of day it is. Uh, those fans are right there on top of you. It's, it's a tremendous environment. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's just going to be uh, – it's, it's, it's going to be a, a good game for a while. Baylor's going to have to try to find a way to compensate and help Stidham out. Uh, they might have to get a little bit more in the run game than they usually get. Uh, but uh, – the good news for them is that Oklahoma State doesn't like to play a ton of defense. Uh, <laughs> besides Emmanuel Ogba, their defensive end. Besides, besides Emmanuel Ogba, they really don't play a lot of defense. Their best defense is just scoring as quickly as they can uh, with their two-quarterback system, J.T. Walsh and, and Mason Rudolph. and J.W. Uh, they uh, – they threw. For, they each threw for over 300 yards in the last two games. Totaled six passing touchdowns. Walsh scored two on the ground um, and threw another one in, in there in that Iowa State game that we talked about last week. He was a big factor in that. Um, you know what? Uh, what continues to jump out at me with the Big 12 is, is not necessarily uh, this matchup, but it's just the fact that um, I'm starting to I'm starting to really justify giving the Big 12 the nickname of the Rodney Dangerfield Conference because they just get no respect. Well, they also – it's because they play no defense. I mean, Josh, how many Big, how many Big 12 teams play defense? Uh, Oklahoma plays a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think if they had better – I think if they had better athletes, Iowa State would boast a pretty good defense. TCU maybe sometimes. Some, not this year. Kansas uh, not a little bit historically. Usually, but yeah, oh, 
you know, uh, it's it's definitely been the no defense conference all year. So, you want to um, hear some interesting stats from this game before yeah. I uh, turn it over to you guys? Yeah, let's give my. Uh, Baylor's not won a road game in this series since 1939. Uh, Cowboys, oh, oh, oh boy! A Cowboys win would be the program's 13th in a row, matching the record set from 1944 to 1946. Uh, Baylor wide receiver Corey Coleman needs 111 yards to move into third place in the school's all-time single-season list. Here's my bold prediction: I think Jared Stidham is going to have a freshman game. I think Oklahoma State wins in a battle it's going to be 45 to 38 i think i think oklahoma state's going to score a late late touchdown to uh to pull ahead and and i think they're going to top baylor continuing their run towards the big 12 championship josh, josh any final thoughts on this game well i think if stidman's healthy i'm going to take baylor to be honest with you i've been down on oklahoma state all year i know i'm a contrarian uh i will throw this out there shock linwood we all like him 21 carries against Oklahoma and just 13 against Kansas State. He should be well-rested, so that's not a heavy load for a running back by any stretch. And one other name to throw out there, he's been quiet all year. If they ever need him to play up to his potential, Sean Oakman needs to get out there and, and sick him, as they say in Waco. Um, but I just, I, I'm down on Okie State. I kind of am holding out till the Bedlam game when I can compare them to a team that I respect. And maybe that's unfair of me, but that's just how I feel based on their Texas performance, their K-State performance, their West Virginia performance. They don't play much defense, 50 points by uh, Texas Tech. Uh, The Iowa State game was ugly. They had a soft non-conference. I'm just not buying too much stock yet in the Cowboys. All right. Well, let's continue on. Um, to uh, the one SEC game of the week that is actually an SEC game between two SEC opponents that are actually decent. Um, Wait, this, that happens. It's uh, the aforementioned uh, Bayou Bengals are heading to Oxford and uh, the Grove to take on Ole Miss. So, uh, uh, Coach, is LSU is starting to reel, it, it, you know, is, is really reeling right now um, after two straight losses. You think they can get back on track uh, this week against the Reds? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that uh, this is a good matchup for them because I think they can physically outmatch Ole Miss. Um, some some bad some some bad fortune upon Ole Miss's shoulders this week. Uh, linebacker Denzel Kimdichi was has been in ICU, um, and uh, so they they'll they'll have to look to try to replace him, but. Um, I, I think Leonard Fournette's going to finally get back on track. He's going to, you know, he's still in the Heisman race based on his stats, um, but he needs to get he needs to have a strong performance over Ole Miss if he wants to get back in that mix. Um, Les Miles is coaching for his job right now. Um, surprisingly, uh, that's sitting at seventy-two. Coach, sorry to cut you off, but I, I think that means we got we're definitely seeing at least two. Trick plays definitely a fake field goal or, or fake punt from us. Oh yeah, he, he's going to empty the cupboard. Um, he's definitely going to empty the cupboard. I think you're going to see the fake field goal where they flip in. Ole Miss will still fall for it, even though they have they probably have about six of them on film at some point. You know, um, they, 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 you know that play works for them at least once a season every year under Miles. And you think it would? You think it wouldn't eventually? But 
I think they just kind of lull you into sleep, and then poop, all of a sudden, here you go. He'll he'll do it. He'll do it from like the thirty-five on like a long field goal. Oh, and, and that, that kicker will take it to the house. And 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 uh, but uh, you know, I think it's you know, I think this matchup. I think a lot of people are going to predict Ole Miss to win based on LSU's latest slide and, and their lack of quarterback play. To be honest, I, I think I don't think that's going to matter. I think Fournette's going to have over 200 yards rushing. Um, I think their defense is finally going to get back on track. I think they're going to give uh, Chad Kelly uh, some some trouble. I think they're going to get after him. Um, they need to. They need to start pressuring the passer a little bit more. I think uh, if they can force Ole Miss into becoming more one-dimensional, I think that'll be extremely beneficial for LSU. Um, they have won 11 of the last 14 meetings, so they got that on their side. Um, and so we'll see what happens. My prediction, I think it's going to be kind of a mid-scoring affair. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be ugly for a little bit. This game usually typically is. Old Miss will keep it close for a while, but I think LSU will win 31 to 24, somewhere in that range, somewhere in that mid-scoring range. All right, Josh. Hmm. Let's see. Who have I been down on all year? LSU. So let me just say, hotty toddy, gosh almighty, who the hell are we? Hey, flim flam, bim bam, Ole Miss by damn. Uh, I, I just, I don't trust, I don't trust these one-dimensional teams. I think that Ole Miss will find plenty of ways to move the ball with guys like Treadwell and so on. I like Ole Miss, and I think that Arkansas game has to give Ole Miss even more confidence because they saw a team that they blew out of the water. I know Arkansas won, but let's be honest, that was a really fluke way that Arkansas managed to win the game. Ole Miss put up 50-some points, scored at will against Arkansas, and Arkansas turns around and shuts down LSU. If I'm Hugh Freeze, I'm saying, hey, look, this Hogs team that we had no problem scoring on just shut down this team i think that's a good confidence boost for the rebs yeah and and uh watch for robert kandichi to just try to clog, just clog up that middle um and you know really make them uh really, really try to force brandon harris to you know do things on you know on his own which you know as we've seen um unless he's unless he can get the ball out to malachi dupree real quickly um you know they have some trouble throwing the ball so, um, well, let's, uh, well, let, let's move on to our second game in the Big 12, and that is the Horned Frogs taking on the hottest team in the country, the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, yeah, we're we going to see another big scoring affair here, uh, Josh? Uh, well, we'll probably see one, <laughs> one uh, team with a high-scoring affair. Uh, I'm assuming you think that's the Sooners. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's – Let's be honest, TCU, they'll find a way to scrap hard because of Patterson, and they still are a talented team. But at some point, all their injuries were just going going to decimate them, and they found a way to kind of tread some water when their defense got shelled. But now Boykin is banged up. Now Josh Doxson's out for the year, and I just don't see how – how they can go a full 60 minutes with this many banged up players on both sides of the ball. It's a shame because the, the frogs are a fun team when healthy. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you look at it this way. Um, I'll give you guys a fun analogy. It'd be like taking a Ferrari, which was TCU in the preseason, 
letting your 13-year-old nephew get behind the wheel and see what he can do with it. And it comes in, bumpers hanging off, a wheel is is <laughs> halfway broken. I think your passenger side door is almost completely off. Your windows are shattered out. I mean, they're they're limping into this whole thing, and and it's just, it's you know, they're a shell of what they were back in August. Um, this is not the same TCU team because of all the injuries. Trevon Boykin might be might be out. Um, I'd be surprised if he plays. Uh, Josh Doxson's going to miss the rest of the season. Um, it, it's going to you know, and and it comes at a time where. You know, their schedule is, is the Big 12 backloaded the schedule with the top teams playing each other. And this is a terrible, terrible, terrible time for TCU to get Oklahoma, or as Charles Barkley said, it'd be a terrible, terrible, terrible time to, to draw Oklahoma because uh, Oklahoma's playing the best football they've played probably since the last time they made a, uh, a national championship appearance. Not saying that they're going to go to the national championship. I'm just saying they're finally playing – as good a football as they were playing the last time they went, which is what, 2008 when they played Florida. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's going to have another huge day. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan. Samaj P. Ryan. Samaj P. Ryan. I'm going to get that right eventually. Promise you. Yeah, I expect to see Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon both have big days for Oklahoma because it is going to be rainy. A rain. It's going to be a lot of rain. Enormous. Yes. Yes. It's going to be lopsided too. I think it's going to be an ugly day for TCU. They're just going to want to get out of there and and get in and get out. I mean, they'll play hard, but it's going to be one of those. By the fourth quarter, you're going, okay, is this thing over yet? Mm -hmm. Please blow this whistle. Um, Oklahoma get a running clock going. Yes, exactly. Like they do in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, We we had one of those. uh, It was fifty-two to nothing at halftime. Um, type running clocks, so um, that was bad. But uh, Oklahoma carries a nine to five series edge, um, but uh, TCU comes in one and zero from last year in the series. Uh, so I think it's going to be a high scoring affair for Oklahoma. It's not going to be the same case for TCU. I think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be blowout city. I'd be surprised if TCU can hold it together with. Uh, bubble gum and duct duct tape. So uh, I like the Sooners big. Yeah, I I, I think we're also on the same page there. All right, uh, all right. Well, here's a game that you know I'm not very excited about. I know a lot of people are excited about this game, but it's from two of my you know completely subjective least favorite programs in the country. Um, and I'm not going to say what I wrote to you guys on the air because that might be <laughs> that might get us kicked off of all of our lovely podcast network. Thank you, Stitcher. Thank you, iTunes. But um, Boston College is playing. It'll Notre- drive away our droves of BC fans. Boston College <laughs> playing Notre Dame at Fenway Park this weekend, and I that is about the last place in the world that I would want to be. Um, so, uh, Coach. Uh, you know, you think this Notre Dame team is gonna—they they should take care of business, shouldn't they? Yeah, it's—it's going to be a roll. It, Notre Dame's going to roll them. I mean, I hate to—I hate to say it, but you know, this one's not going to be very exciting. I think the most exciting part is going to be the uh, the broadcast lead-in where they're talking about Fenway Park and they're gushing over. Oh, this field looks pretty good for being a baseball stadium. Oh, yeah, look at the green monster. They're gonna. Hey, here we go, and then it's going to be a slaughter fest. I think. I think Boston College, they'll play hard. They just don't have enough. They just don't have enough in the tank. 
you know, the Notre Dame's playing really well right now. They, they kind of see that playoff carrot dangling in front of them. They're sitting right there on the cusp of it. If they can win out, they can look at they can look at their chances of, of becoming a playoff team, which is something they would have never imagined when uh, Malik Zaire went out and when they had a, that, that rash of injuries and people getting banged up. They would have never thought it walking off the field uh, soaked in Clemson with a loss. They would have never thought the playoff run was possible, um, but it is. And I think this is the next step in it. Uh, Boston College is three and seven. Steve Adazio is on the on the hot seat now. Um, you know, there's going to be some major changes, whether it's you know from the top down or whether Steve Adazio makes some staff changes of his own, whether he leaves on his own to get out of Boston College. I don't know. There's going to be some stuff that's happening there. Um, but uh, you know, a positive for the Eagles, they lead FBS in total defense, holding opponent to an average of 237 yards, but they sit last in total offense. Yikes. So they're first in one category, last in the other, um, which usually doesn't help you have a record better than three and seven. Um, CJ ProSize is expected to return after sitting out last week. Um, the Irish are on a four-game winning streak in this series, uh, and the Eagles have not dropped seven straight since losing – the eighth in a row between the 1990 and 91 seasons. Um, all that being said, I think Notre Dame wins 31 to three. Yeah, I mean this this BC team, uh, their their season changed completely when Darius Wade hurt his knee against Florida State. They were holding their own against. Florida State, Coach, you said it perfectly. They got a great defense, um, tops in a lot of categories. But without their starting quarterback, here are their point totals in their seven losses. Zero, seven, zero, 17, 14, 10, eight. Uh, they're averaging 21 points per game right now, and that is getting helped by a 76-point burst against Howard in their second game of the season. They can't win this game. They just can't. And it's a shame that, that you know, Darius got hurt. But to steal a, a quote from Kirk Ferentz, that's football. Injuries happen. It, it's a shame when your margin of error is as razor thin as BC's was to start the year. Hopefully um, they're smart with their coaching decisions you don't want to necessarily fire a guy due to an injury-plagued season, and you have to admit the defense is really good. Uh, maybe Adazio just makes some coaching changes on that offensive side of the ball, and they can be more competitive next year. But this is a BC team that's made some bowls recently. I don't think any one of us expected the wheels to come off so dramatically this year. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. Sure. Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to um, maybe the biggest game of the week. Um, Ohio State uh, undefeated Buckeyes heading in to play the Spartans in East Lansing. Game day is going to be there. Um, you know, Connor Cook, great senior quarterback, um, you know, headed up to play one of the most talented defenses in the country, one of the most talented teams all around in Ohio State. Uh, Josh, this is, your, this, is uh, this conference is your home turf. I uh, think Sparty can pull the upset. Well, they would certainly love it if Ohio State travels to East Lansing because that, that means Ohio State will have to forfeit by not having their team in Columbus where the oh. game actually is. 
Sorry. Um, no, it, it, it all comes down to Connor Cook's wing. Um, hurt his shoulder against Merrill when they sat him the rest of the game. He said he's good to go. They said he's playing, but uh, I, I'm skeptical until I see him step out there and see him make some deep ball throws. Uh, and they're going to need him. Michigan State's defense, especially that secondary, has not looked good all year. So if MSU has any hope, it's going to be a track meet with Connor Cook putting up a ton of yards, and, and I'm worried because we don't know what his arm's going to do. Well, that first hit he's going to take is going to tell everything because it's going to be – you know, he's going to get hit early and, early and often, and, and he's going to have to deal with, you know, just like – just like Jarrett Stidham at Baylor, he's going to have to deal with a lot of discomfort. I mean, he's not – it's not going to be comfortable back there. Even if he has all day, he's going to make a throw, and he's probably going to grunt a little bit. He's going to come to the sideline. He's going to grimace. He's going to fight through it. He, he's going to be in a lot of pain. Uh, he's get, The trainer's going to earn their – the training staff is going to earn their money for the rest of the season because Connor Cook is going to battle through this. Um, I don't know that he can make the same throws that he has been – this is probably the fastest defense he's going to face all year um, outside of uh, whatever bowl game they get into, um, depending on who they get matched up with there. But for the time being on the regular season schedule, this is the best and fastest defense he's going to face. And if he's banged up, especially his shoulder, it's going to be, it's going to be a rough ride for him. And he's going to have to, uh, you know, he's going to have to take the throws he can take. He's, they're going to have to, game plan, short, intermediate passes. They're going to have to get the run game going. The defense is just going to have to hold strong, play discipline, and, and, and give the give the offense chances. Try to get a short field. Try to cause as many turnovers as you can. Um, and then they're just going to have to uh, play sound football. I mean, you know, that, that, goes with, that usually goes without saying, but, te- you know, teams like Ohio State can overcome uh, some mistakes. You know, in, in, in this situation, Michigan State really – has to play 100% clean if they're if they're going to want to give themselves a chance with Connor Cook being so so beat up. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's it's, it's going to be a good one, um, but you know I don't know if we've, we've really seen the, the the real Ohio State or Ohio State at their at their full potential yet. And I you know even with the bending up Connor Cook, they're going to need to break that if they're gonna if they're going to beat the Spartan team, which I know. You know, they had that, um, you know, that ridiculous loss to Nebraska, which shouldn't have counted, um, or, else this would, or else this would be a game for really all the marbles. But And, and I mean, for Sparty, it, it really still is, because if Michigan State wins out, we saw Ohio State make it as a one-loss team a year ago, and that was with a home loss in a non-conference game. I would say that, Stan, that um, MSU winning out – with a road loss in a conference game, uh, I would still put them in personal. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think if uh, whoever wins a Big Ten should get in, um, to be honest. I think it's a tougher Well, not, not Penn State. If the math works out and Penn State somehow wins out, I wouldn't put a three-loss Penn State team in. I'll draw the line with the Nittany Lions. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming – I'm assuming <laughs> one loss did team, uh, but obviously if Maryland somehow runs the table uh, <laughs> in the playoff, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's uh, you know it's one of those situations where 
Um, whoever wins this game is going to put themselves in a great position uh, to play Iowa. I think Iowa's going to be a tough out. I think I'm looking forward to this Big Ten championship game, to be honest with you. I, I hope it's, you know, one of these three, you know, one of these two teams playing against Iowa in the Big Ten championship. I think it'll it'll be exciting to watch. I think Alabama's going to steamroll uh, Florida in the SEC championship. That's not going to be all that great. Um, the the ACC championship will be fun with uh, yeah, the, the ACC more and more intriguing with each week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then that's a that's that that was kind of our our uh, our lost conference when we were doing these previews. And then uh, you know the Big Ten is, is you know don't sleep on the Big Ten. They're you know they're slowly be- becoming the second best. Uh, I think for parity's sake, the the Pac-12 championship will be kind of exciting, um, but. And the overall grand scheme of things, I think they've kind of played themselves into just kind of that um, everybody else is ranked ahead of them type type situation. So um, I'm intrigued for sure. I'm intrigued with this game. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm going to watch it, uh, probably flip around, um, try to catch as many games as I can. Uh, Georgia's playing Georgia Southern at night. Um, I'd like to try to watch that because I'm a Georgia alum, but – I don't see myself watching too much of it. I'm, I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna be looking around at different games um, to be, if I'm being 100 percent honest. But who knows? I hope that, I hope that the Georgia Georgia Southern game doesn't turn into one where I have to watch it because it's become exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's move on uh, to our to our final segment, our spread formations. Um, after last week, Josh is sitting at 30 and 25. The coach is 29 and 21. And I am finally over 500, back over 500, I should say, at 28 and 27. First game, of the, first game of the week, we've got another, you know, if Oklahoma's the hottest team in the country, North Carolina might be the second hottest team in the country. They come into Blacksburg as five-point favorites against the Hokies. Uh, Josh, I'll start with you. A lot of emotion for Beamer's last game. I know they're wearing some black jerseys, but uh, – Whatever Fedora is selling, those kids are buying by the bushel. I will go with the Tar Heels to cover. Yes, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to do the same. I think I think they're going to win. Uh, I think they're going to win pretty handily. I think they're they're like you said, they're one of the hottest teams in college football. And I think Virginia Tech just, you know, all the emotion is not going. All the emotion in the world is not going to help them. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll make that a clean, clean sweep. Uh, I will say this for the Hokies because I doubt we're going to talk about it. I'm going to be rooting my ass off for them in Charlottesville to conclude their season to get Beamer to another bowl game. Yeah. That, yes, that would be. Yeah, uh, I am absolutely rooting for Virginia Tech through, through the course of the season. Frank Beamer is one of my favorite coaches. Um, but that's that being said, I, I still think the Tar Heels are going to win. All right. Uh, second game of the week is uh, I talked about. I just uh, referenced it a little bit earlier. Um, California Golden Bears heading across the bay to Palo Alto take on Stanford, who are eleven and a half point favorites at home. Uh, Josh, can uh, Stanford uh, cover from that uh, from that rough loss they had last week? Oh yeah, Stanford's going to be good and mad, and you know they don't want to lose the big game. I love that that's what it's called—the big game uh, against their arch rival. And hey, this is—they're like Michigan State. I know they have two losses, but they're eleventh. It, it's not over yet because they'll have the title game 
and they have the Notre Dame game. Those are two big resume pieces they can slip in there at the very end. So don't count Stanford out yet. As for Cal, they've already exceeded expectations. They made a bowl game. They're at six wins. They should be able to beat Arizona State next week to get to seven. Uh, They got ranked, but then they went through that ringer with Utah, UCLA, USC, and Oregon. Tough for them to survive those four games. They battled hard in some of them, especially the USC game, but – they just didn't quite have it. And Stanford coming off a loss, it does not bode well for the Bears. Uh, yeah, I think Stanford's going to – I'm going to make it – I guess I'll make it or get it closer to a clean sweep. Um, I think Sonny Dykes is is looking for a way out at, at Cal. I've, I've heard some some things about that situation where he's, he's looking for uh, it to be anywhere but Berkeley. Um, so I like Stanford at home. I think Christian McCaffrey's going to have a big one. Are you saying there's culture clash for someone who is from Texas and like lived in Lubbock all his life to be in the Bay Area? Nah, I mean, the, I mean, that? I mean, the cultures are exactly the same, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, definitely. definitely. What's what's um, his problem? Well, uh, I'll, I'll keep it quick. Uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey for Heisman. Um, next one, uh, Josh, we're heading to the Mac for Buffalo on the road at Akron, two middle of the pack teams in the conference. Uh, Josh, what you got? Yeah, these are two teams that are are battling hard. They've been down for a while. It's nice to see them kind of bounce back. Um, Akron coming off back-to-back road wins. Um, but I'm going to go with a common opponent. That's Ohio. Ohio's a seven-win team, kind of a good barometer, um, Akron lost to them, and Buffalo beat them up pretty good. So with that in mind, uh, I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bulls. I also inexplicably watched their game at Florida Atlantic. I don't remember why. I think it was an 11 o'clock game, and there was nothing else good on. And the Bulls won that game too. So I guess I'm riding high with the, with the UB Bulls. Well, I think it's a, a good time uh, to be a Bull uh, with the uh, South Florida getting off the getting off of Matt, uh, I think Buffalo's gonna. I think they're gonna they're gonna run rough shot over Akron. Um, I think it's gonna be the the most lopsided one point win ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, I have no idea how to pick this game. Uh, I'm gonna go with Buffalo uh, based on their common opponent with with Ohio. Josh, you, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. So I'm gonna go with Buffalo. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a tough one. I want to take, uh, I want to take Akron home. I really do. Um, you know, I, I think that it, Akron's a good story this year, but, um, you know what? Yeah, let's take, I'll, I'll, I'll grab the four points, take Buffalo on the road. Um, so next heading to the Ivy league, baby. It's uh, the biggest wow. game of the year in the Ivies. Harvard, 13-point favorites at Yale. Um, you know, uh, these, two, uh, these two teams um, this year are both having, um, you know, uh, pretty, good, uh, pretty good years. Uh, both have, you know, better than just winning records. Um, Harvard has – Harvard is currently leaders. Um, but um, I'm, having, I'm having trouble for some reason bringing up 
um, the records on my computer. Oh, here we go. Yeah, uh, Harvard's eight and one, uh, five and one in conference. Yale six and three, three and three in conference. So uh, basically, it's Harvard and Dartmouth this year uh, at the top of the Ivies. Dartmouth's playing Princeton this weekend at home in another big game. But uh, Harvard, thirteen point favorites on the road in the Yale Bowl. Josh, I know you love some Ivy football. <laughs> well, I think the I think the Crimson got caught looking past the Quakers. He got tripped up at home by Penn, who's good but not great. Penn six and three. Uh, common opponent argument. They both played Dartmouth, Matt, your hometown team. You know it. Yale lost thirty-five to three up in Hanover, whereas Harvard got the win 14-13 when Dartmouth was ranked 22nd over the, the big green. So I'm going to go with Harvard covering that absurdly big spread in a rivalry game. Yeah, that's a big spread. Coach? I like Havid. I think uh, I think the Crimson are going are gonna to beat Yale. I think they're going to cover. Uh, it's a huge spread in such a Ivy League uh, rivalry. But uh, I think, I think Havid – has what it has what it takes. Um, I'm going to take the Bulldogs um, in this one and take and take Yale. Thirteen points is a lot. Uh, is a lot to be giving. Uh, you know, is a lot to be getting at home. So I still think Harvard's going to win. I think Harvard's going to win by a touchdown, ten points. But I'll, uh, I'll I'll grab the points. And finally, it's our big game of the week. Drum roll, please, for West Virginia. Uh, favored by 28 on the road in our favorite place, guys, Kansas. That's right. Chuck oh, Jayhawk, I'll, I'll take the lead on this one. Uh, I think Kansas is going to cover. Finally, uh, Dana Holgerson has found himself on a hot seat. And Listen, uh, I just try just a quick interjection. We got killed last week with that uh, can with that Kansas line. Uh, we all picked TCU, and it can't and, and TCU only won by six instead of the four. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? Boykin went down with an injury. Who would have guessed that? Exactly. Exactly. So, so uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, Josh, uh, cut you off there. Who you got here? West Virginia or Kansas? Uh, well, Coach said he was taking Kansas to cover that spread. I'm going to go one farther. You've heard it here first. Heard it here first. Jayhawks on a last-second field goal win at 31-28, and Holgerson is not even let back on the plane. Oh, big one, big one. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to go with the Jayhawks. Saw a lot of things I liked last week. Even though they were out-talented, they really hung with them. Uh, all through the game, I know uh, TCU had their backup quarterback in, but still, you think TCU would have a ton more talent than Kansas. Saw something from the Jayhawks last week. Um, hopping back on that Kansas train, baby. We um, totally, we totally jinxed them. They're going to give up like eighty points now. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's pretty standard. Um, all right. Well, recruiting coordinator. I mean, head coach is going to call us all all upset. <laughs> any, any parting shots? Uh, yeah, I've just got a quick one. Um, there was an article on the Worldwide Leader. So the Big Ten do do a team most likely making the playoff and then probably another team making a former BCS bowl game. I don't really know what to call them, but uh, as it stands now, Ohio State in the tournament, Iowa in the Rose Bowl, that's leaving a shortage of filling their allotment of 10 bowl games. 
there's a rumor that a five and seven team might get to go. And, and uh, look, Pat Fitzgerald, I don't agree with him on much. And here's something else I don't agree with him on, but he was saying like, it lets his, the seniors be with their family for another month. Let's them, you know, he said, quote, I had the privilege of playing in two bowls. And obviously I've been to a bunch as a coach. It's a great privilege. I'm sorry, being under 500 and playing like December 15th or whatever some of these junky bowl games are, that's not a privilege. I would much rather see an extra Conference USA team, an extra MAC team, you know, someone else who is at least 500, ideally seven and five. This just shows the proliferation of bowl games we've had. There's even a serious discussion of letting a five and seven Big Ten team go to one of these bowl games. Get that junk out of here. Well, uh, my parting shot is going to be that uh, help was on the way for the Cornhuskers. It was going to be something else, but I saw this uh, pop up. Uh, 2016 four-star quarterback Patrick O'Brien signs his financial aid agreement with Nebraska. And uh, so it looks like help's on the way for the five and seven Cornhuskers. I don't know if Mike Riley will be his coach. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, just looking at these bowl projections, it's it's uh, some of these bowls I'm just kind of going, that that's really a, that's really a bowl game. And, and Matt, you kind of said Nebraska with that. Nebraska's five and six, and they've got a bye week to prepare for Iowa. I can tell you right now, everyone on the Hawkeye State is – scared crapless that Nebraska has 13 days to prepare for a Greg Davis offense. USA Today is uh, is predicting a January 1st Citrus Bowl game with Michigan State and Georgia. I've heard rumors of a, of a holiday bowl between Wisconsin and UCLA down in San Diego, and you know I would be going to that. So, um, well, um, I think we got to wrap it up here on that note. Um, so, uh, for the coach, Corey Burton, and for our blogger, Josh Cook, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. We'll be breaking down Miami, Michigan, or Miami, Massachusetts. They come on, come in four and 17 overall. Oof. Josh, Josh, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought we were doing Tulane SMU. <laughs> hey, who would have guessed that the Citadel would have a better record than South Carolina in their matchup? Oh, yeah, that's that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, shout out to you, Aunt Sal. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.